It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 358 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Ladders Immortal because I couldn't think of a better way to describe it. It is May 6, 2022, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start you off with some articles regarding Activision Blizzard, including one by Axios, uh, written by Stephen Totillo, who I've mentioned before on the show. He seems to be the main writer for their gaming section. And he wrote this on May 2nd. He wrote, Activision advises stockholders to vote against harassment report, which is kind of a mind-boggling title until you get into it. Activision is recommending that its shareholders vote against a proposal from New York State that the company issue an annual report about abuse, harassment, and discrimination in its workplace. Why it matters, the proposal, first made in February, is a push for transparency about the wrongs at a scandal-wracked company. Such proposals often fail, but last year, Microsoft shareholders voted for such a report over the objections of that company's board. The uh, New York's proposed report would include the, quote, total number of pending sexual abuse, harassment, or discrimination complaints the company is seeking to resolve, end quote, the amount of money Activision spent settling misconduct claims in the past three years, the number of pending misconduct complaints facing the company, what they're saying, Quote, the board believes that, rather than diverting energy and resources toward creating yet another report, we should continue to directly respond to employee concerns, end quote, the company noted in a filing on Friday evening. An Activision rep told Axios the company, quote, is committed to transparency, though if they're voting against, you know, having all this dirty laundry go out legally in documents that would, you know, tie them to it, I don't think they're actually committed to transparency, you know. Um, But that's, yeah, that's what they said, apparently, to an Activision rep told Axios. uh, Continuing with uh, the rep was referencing recent company reports about pay and workplace changes. Quote, we intend to continue that approach in the future. The workplace changes or the lack of transparency? I'm not sure. Uh, New York is pushing for similar reports from Tesla and Starbucks. In addition, uh, the Starbucks workers, as you may know, across the country, at least in the United States, not sure about outside of the United States, they are unionizing or very much attempting to, and Starbucks is doing the sort of union-busting kind of garbage that a lot of big companies want to do. They've got tons of money. They just don't want to help their workers, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know what's up with Tesla, honestly. I haven't paid attention to that very much, but it might be along the same thing in terms of, like, harassment, because I know I've read things from Starbucks unions that, you know, post online where they're trying to help stores become unionized that... The person who appears to be the employee who appears to be leading it tends to get harassed a lot by higher ups. Um, so it could be something like that that they're doing. I'm not sure what the Tesla thing is. I haven't I haven't really looked at that because it's not 
you know, it just didn't come across my radar, but New York wants that too. Uh, regarding Activision, it cited California's ongoing investigation of the company, which it says identified problems impacting 2,500 people who could deserve as much as $930 million in recompense. Activision says that estimate is, quote, based on faulty assumptions, inaccurate guesses about factual matters, and multiple mathematical errors. But they don't seem to have provided any evidence of that. This is just trying to keep things in the dark again. Activision is also urging a no vote on a proposal from the AFL-CIO to add a member to its board who is voted on by employees. It says such a selection would sidestep its own selection process for qualified board members. So what they're saying here is, well, if you've been harassed, too bad, we're doing nothing about it, and we're going to lie and say we have transparency. That's what we're doing. And oh yeah, we don't want employees to have any say about who's on the board. That's what I'm hearing from this. You know, Now, the vote on these proposals is scheduled for Activision's annual meeting on June 21st, so I'm sure we'll hear something about that at some point. Uh, we also have another Axios article written by the same guy, Stephen Totillo, and it is written on May 4th. New York City sues Activision targeting CEO Bobby Kotek. And it's got that photo of him with the jeans on and the white sweater and looking kind of... He's carrying a binder and a phone, and I don't know, he looks kind of tired in that picture. Or maybe that's just what he looks like. Um, Activision CEO Bobby Kotek rushed to secure a takeover bid from Microsoft to escape liability for misconduct at the company, a new lawsuit from New York City officials alleges. Driving the news. The suit was filed in Delaware on April 26th by New York City employees' retirement system and pension funds for the city's teachers, police, and firefighters. The group's own Activision stock and believe actions by the gaming giant's management hurt the company's value. The office of NYC's comptroller shared a public version of the suit with Axios on May 3rd. Here's some details. The lawsuit is an action in Delaware's Court of Chancery, technically a 220 complaint, that allows stockholders to press com- companies to open their books and potentially expose wrongdoing. New York City is demanding Activision provide a long list of documents, including material related to the Microsoft deal info on five possible buyers cited in Activision's official description of the sales talks, board memos, and more. The city has been pressing Activision for internal documents since the fall, originally to find out what CEO Bobby Kotek knew of sexual misconduct at the company. Parentheses. That misconduct has been the subject of lawsuits and news reports since summer. End of parentheses. As laid out in the complaint, New York sought access to Activision's books as a basis to sue Kotek and board members for allegedly costing the company value. It expresses frustration that Kotek, already under fire, headed up rapid negotiations in late 2021 to sell the company to Microsoft. What they're saying, I'm not sure who there is, but it's it's something in the lawsuit. Quote, given Kotex personal responsibility and liability for Activision's broken workplace, it should have been clear to the board that he was unfit to negotiate a sale of the company, the suit says, but it wasn't. Uh, New York says the Microsoft deal, which is pending regulator approval, allows, quote, Kotek and his fellow directors a means to escape liability for their egregious breaches of fiduciary duty. It also says Microsoft's $95 a share offer undervalues the company, which was trading it close to that before Activision's public scandals began last summer. Um, There's also mention of the Wall Street Journal article, which I believe I've read to you. And if you want to know more, there is uh, an embed in this Axios article that shows you 
uh, the Court of Chancery of Delaware. You can scroll through there and see, you know, whatever's in there, whatever you want to see. It's that kind of thing. You've probably seen some of that before. And all of this that I'm talking about on Shattered Soulstone will be linked into the show notes at ShatteredSoulstone.com so you can check it out for yourself. There's a couple of other articles in here that kind of bounce off the Axios one. So Games Industry Biz has one titled Activision Blizzard Urges Shareholders to Vote Against New York's Proposed Annual Abuse Report. And kind of, you know, there's probably some stuff in this article that the other ones didn't see or a take on it that somebody doesn't have. But, you know, you can pick and choose which one you want to read. And then there's one from Engadget uh, titled New York City Targets CEO Bobby Kotek and Latest Activision Blizzard Lawsuit. And that one is also bouncing off the Axios thing. So you can kind of, you know, decide what you want to do. GameSpot also has uh, an article about roughly the same thing. They've got a couple of paragraphs in here that I thought were interesting, though. As of right now, Microsoft's deal to buy Activision Blizzard has not been fully approved. The buyout must face regulatory scrutiny, experts say, although it is ultimately ultimately expected to be approved. If that does happen, Microsoft will own Activision Blizzard and all of its studios and franchises, including Call of Duty, Overwatch, Warcraft, Diablo, and more. In other Blizzard news, the company recently released its quarterly financial report to reveal a sharp decline in revenue, player numbers, and Call of Duty unit sales. For the quarter ending March 31st, Activision Blizzard generated revenue of $1.77 billion, a far cry from last year's $2.28 billion during the same period. However, it is worth noting that video games spending during the quarter dropped in the U.S. overall. So there's that. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then we've got Ars Technica jumping in, and they have a picture here from, I don't know what, but it has a... I don't know if this is a video game or what exactly, but we've got the... You're looking at a figure who has their back to you, and they are wearing, like, what you'd see if you were going into, like... Well, they, they look to be in a room with toxic waste, and it says Activision Blizzard on the back of that outfit it's like covering the person entirely and uh, you can see their hands but they probably have gloves on and in front of them is uh, a bunch of these green barrels that seem to be exuding some kind of green fog and it's got the california state flag on it so somebody went all out with that one that that on its own is impressive enough to take a look at the shareholders belief is that the ex- executives acted in their own interests as opposed to those of the company shareholders for failing for years to inform them about the original california state lawsuits allegations for years imagine if you were a shareholder and then you know all this happens and you're like wait wait you didn't tell us about this when it started i mean i think i'd be kind of angry you know in uh let's see um the suit also alleges that the board is accelerating efforts to complete a proposed merger with microsoft to quote extinguish highly valuable derivative claims against all activision blizzard board members and longtime company ceo bobby kotek with the announced merger, Kotek will be able to escape liability and accountability entirely, the lawsuit states, and it calls Kotek's presence in the merger's negotiations inexcusable as a result. Uh, the lawsuit focuses on the Section 220 provision of the Delaware General Corporation Law, which allows stockholders to demand that corporations under legal review provide documents relating to allegations of wrongdoing. According to the suit, the plaintiff's original Section 220 demand, filed in October 2021, resulted in the turnover of, quote, 107 documents, end quote, relating to the Activision Blizzard's board's activities. The plaintiffs allege that these documents are insufficient 
sufficient in light of what Section 220 demands, and that its follow-up request for more documentation filed in early April was met with a tardy response, thus violating Delaware law. So they're just getting themselves in deeper here with Activision Blizzard. The lawsuit primarily requests this data in in late April, uh, along with damage values related to the time and effort required to request it, but the data in question sets the stage for further legal action by the named shareholders who are not the first to go after Activision Blizzard with similar allegations. The April lawsuit's language doubles, doubles down on wanting to confirm a failure by Activision Blizzard and its board to properly negotiate a per-share acquisition value on the company's stock price before the California lawsuit became public knowledge. Its list of outstanding data demands is lengthy, and it seeks more details about five other, quote, potential transactions, whatever those are, that could have led to more highly valued acquisition offers. So basically, the stockholders are pretty angry that they may not have gotten the money from their stock that they should have, and that Kotek kind of screwed things up and is trying to you know, save himself from liability is kind of the thing. Moving on, we've got a rather lengthy article from The Guardian titled, I Need Diverse Games, How an Angry Tweet Became a Life-Changing Moment. And this is about uh, Tanya DePass, who did not know her tweet would be uh, viewed in that way. And it's a, it's a really good article. I've read through most of it. It's too long to really read all the way through on the show, but... I'll give you a little bit. One day in 2014, Tanya DePass was feeling the rage. She had been playing games for most of her life since the time of Pong, ColecoVision, and the glory days of the arcade, and yet she still saw very few people like her in games she played. A queer black woman, DePass started becoming aware of video games' diversity problem as far back as 1987 Street Fighter. Outside of sports and fighting, there were hardly any black characters around, queer characters were nearly non-existent, and women characters made up a tiny percentage of gaming's lead stars. That year at E3, game publisher Ubisoft had come out with a now infamous response to a journalist's question about why all four of the playable characters in the latest Assassin's Creed game were male. Women were, quote, too much extra work to animate. Remember that? That was a while ago, but that happened. That was their response. So she tweeted about it using the hashtag hashtag I need diverse games and it exploded. People from within and outside the games industry started sharing their own reasons why they too needed better representation in video games. People from within and outside the games industry started sharing their own reasons why they too needed better representation in video games because they needed to see themselves because they wanted their daughters to be able to play as a character they identified with. Uh, the hashtag eventually became its own Twitter account and website and a not-for-profit organization that works to give marginalized people a leg up in the video games industry through initiatives such as game developers conference scholarships panels and events and consultancy and so for her it was becoming a second job and it goes on from here i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit uh it started with me literally just being mad about games laughs tanya i never thought starting a hashtag in anger would lead to any of this and I'm going to read you a paragraph here, uh, and then I'll probably stop and let you catch up to the rest of it if you're interested. As a kid dropping quarters into arcade machines in Chicago, where she still lives, video games were an escape for Tanya, a treat for herself. Quote, my mother was really not about it. We grew up really poor, food stamps poor, so I didn't have a console of my own until I moved out of the house, she said. But games were another way to flex my imagination. I loved reading, and I treated it as an extension of being able to read and go to these different places. In 
games, you can literally visit another world. I'm a very visual person, so while the books are great and I can visualize them, with a controller in my hand, I can see a world as the game is presenting it to me. It was an escape, it was relaxing, it was formative. But what didn't it didn't escape Tanya's notice that black and queer characters, when they did show up in games, were usually incidental. Where are the people who look like me? They're the hookers in a Grand Theft Auto game, she says. As I got older, I realized that there were people who actually didn't want people like me in games. And if you do get a black character, you get a, if you get a gay character, they don't live very long or they're there for set dressing. They're not a full character. They're not the people who get to save the world every single time. And it goes on from there. Um, the game industry's diversity has been steadily improving, especially in the past 15 years or so. The, pro- the proportion of women, people of color, and LGBTQ plus people working in the industry has been rising. For instance, in 2009, only 11.5% of respondents to the International Game Developers Association survey identified as female, and now it's closer to 30%, but there is more to do, especially when it comes to addressing the toxicity of some sections of video game fandom. Last summer, black streamers on Twitch were subjected to coordinated hate raids where people would arrive in their thousands and spam a streamer's chat with slurs and insults. And then I'll um, I'll let you read the rest. It's a pretty good article. It's, I've skipped a bit in there, but I thought it was interesting because I think diversity is extremely important, important, especially in video games, because we do need a world that rec- reflects everybody. You know, everybody, no matter who you are, you should be able to, you know, have the choice of a character that looks like you or sounds like you or whatever that may be. And for too long, like, okay, I was one of those kids throwing quarters in the arcade when I was young, because I'm pretty old, I guess, compared to some of you listening. And um, that was exciting and interesting. And I remember that, you know, as a kid, I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, maybe, you know, and I'm in the arcade. I'm like the only girl there. And, uh, you know, you put your quarters down to get next, which means everybody has memorized whose quarter is next in that line sitting on the video game I want to say console, but that's not right. The machine, you know, and you'd come back and, you know, you knew if you had next. And I had a situation where some teenage boy that was like a lot taller than me pushed me out of the way threw his quarter in and started playing the game. And there was a number of other teenage guys hanging around there. And again, I was like 10 or 11 and I'm tiny and I never really grew any bigger. I mean, I got a little taller, but that was it. And one of the guys was trying to advocate for me. I'm thinking maybe he had a sister or something. And he was like, hey, dude, not cool. The guy that was playing the game said something like, oh, it's, you know, well, girls shouldn't play video games. And I decided to stomp on the instep of his foot as hard as I could. And he fell over and everybody cheered. That was my way of handling it. I'm not suggesting everyone resort to violence, but at the time it was necessary, you know. And nobody messed with me at that arcade ever again. But one of the things I did notice is that at that time, it was nearly impossible to find a female character in the games. Um, except for Miss Pac-Man. There was a Miss Pac-Man. You know, that, that one was pretty obvious. Um, but a lot of the rest were uh, not great, <laughs> you know, um, at that time. And it, it's nice to see the games are becoming more diverse, showing people of color, showing people that are LGBTQ, showing people of different body sizes and, and all that. That's, that's important. It's important to make this welcoming for everybody. You know, so everybody's represented. That's that's like what we need to do. The world would be better if we had kids growing up with video game characters of different types so that, you know, they when they encounter someone who looks different from them in the real world, they kind of have a, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool, you know, kind of aspect about it instead of whatever else. Kotaku has this article about PAX East. 
and it is a sad article. Um, it's titled, PAX East Enforcer Dies from COVID After Being Exposed During the Convention. This is something to think about if you're going to conventions, like gaming conventions or whatever other conventions where people are tightly packed into small areas. And recently, uh, the mask mandates have been dropped for pretty much everywhere. And typically when that happens, I mean, this ain't, this ain't our first year of dealing with COVID, right? I mean, we know when the mask mandates come down and some of the other protections come down that people start getting sick from COVID again. So this is going on. If you're going to go into a convention and that's really important for you to be there for whatever your reasoning may be, be careful with yourself um, because... You know, your immune system might be strong enough to get through there without a mask, but I don't know why you would choose to risk that because you could spread it around to others. And it just takes one person in a tightly packed group of people that are staying in the same space with no masks to spread it to everyone else. And it doesn't mean everyone in the conference is going to die of COVID, but it does mean people who are immune compromised have a larger chance of getting very, very sick from it. And it's the type of disease that you don't know you have when you're walking around the conference. So this is just an example of something you may want to consider, especially if someone you love is immune compromised and you don't want to bring that home to that person who can't safely go to these things. The article from Kotaku says this, a PAX East enforcer died from coronavirus after working at the convention last Saturday. Dawn D. Star Wood was well regarded by other enforcers who donated to the GoFundMe for her funeral, which met its goal in a single day. The organizer for the fundraiser emphasizes that Wood had, quote, the most fun she had in years, end quote, but her death has led some members of the gaming community to question the necessity of in-person conventions. PAX enforcers are workers who handle planning and in-person operations for the annual gaming convention. They are paid the local minimum wage and given a four-day pass for the extended weekend. According to a press comment given to Fanbyte, Wood had been a PAX enforcer since 2014. According to the official PAX East website, all attendees were required to show proof of vaccination and wear face coverings while attending the event. A few days before the convention, Boston, where apparently this convention was held, dropped its mandate for masking while on public transportation, and it's unknown how consistently masking Masking mandates were actually enforced. Kotaku reached out to PAX East for a comment, but did not receive one from the time of the publication. According to the GoFundMe page, Wood returned home sick from the convention, and her symptoms were so severe that her mother, Robin Bassett, took care of her throughout the week. Bassett called the police for a wellness check on Saturday after her daughter failed to check in with her, and they discovered that Wood passed away overnight. Um, so there's a fundraiser going on that uh, apparently got all its money. Um, some members of the games industry have spoken out against the necessity of in-person conventions. They were difficult to justify once companies and independent creators realized they could run conferences online and they've only become more contentious as E3 was canceled. COVID spread rampantly at the Game Developers Conference and MAGFest, I don't know what that is, became a super spreader event. So there's that. I mean, it's something to think about. I mean, I know there's a lot of us out there that want to believe COVID is done, but it's not. There's still people getting sick. There's still people dying from it, you know, spreading it to others without knowing they're spreading it to others. And, you know, take care of yourself so you won't harm the people around you that you love and the people that you don't even know are immune compromised. I talk about being immune compromised all the time because I want people to be aware that we exist and we have problems if you're, you know, not 
providing protection that we need. Uh, the answer is not, so just stay home. I'm already doing that, okay? You know, I mostly stay home unless I'm going to, like, a medical thing. But there is no good reason in this world to have an in-person conference and not also offer an online one that provides similar experience. You know, you could see all the panels and stuff like that. Um, BlizzCon Line did that, you know, a while back. It worked just fine. You know, it's not the same as being able to go drink and hug your friends and all that. And it's not, but it'll keep people safe. People like me, you know, people who can't afford to travel to wherever the place is, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, there's going to be more conferences coming up and there's going to be things like this. So just really people take care of yourselves and take care of others. It's, it's super important. Bungie has provided a tweet and they are, well, I'll just read you what they wrote, and then I'll bring you back to another Kotaku article if it's still necessary. So Bungie has this on their website on May 4. They've got like this shield uh, on the top of like a drawing or a graphic of it with a fist holding a lightning bolt with a little scroll under them. And this is titled Bungie Supports Essential Healthcare Rights. So they wrote this. It's pretty short. At Bungie, we believe that everyone has a right to choose their own path and that freedom is expressed across all facets of life. The leaked draft decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade represents a blow to freedom in America and is a direct attack on human rights. By creating a divide between those who possess the fundamental right to make health care decisions that are right for them and those who do not possess that same freedom, this decision, should it become final, will have far-reaching consequences that will be felt for generations across socioeconomic lines. Bungie is committed to safeguarding the freedom and privacy of its employees and providing pro- providing support to all employees affected by this decision. Standing up for reproductive choice and liberty is not a difficult decision to make, and Bungie remains dedicated to upholding those values. If you would like to donate to organizations that support rights to health care, there are a few you might consider. They're suggesting Urge, Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, NARL Pro-Choice America Foundation, and In Our Own Voice is what they're doing. Now, This is uh, the type of thing that more companies should be doing because when you cut off, you know, like more than half the population from access to healthcare that they may need, um, you know, uh, or choose to have, whatever the case may be, you know, you are probably going to face a lot of harassment online for that tweet. And they did post a tweet about it online, which was pretty brave. It's nice to see companies doing the thing that shows that they actually care about humans. You know, I mean, and I know some of you listening are probably not pro-choice for whatever your reasons may be. And if you want to stop listening to my show because of it, bye, you know, that's fine, whatever, you know. But this thing by Bungie is significant because they are taking a risk that they're going to lose people from their games and therefore lose money. But they're doing, you know, they want to be on the right side of this. And I really truly feel that no matter who you are, who you love, what body parts you happen to have. So, I mean, you know, kudos to Bungie for putting that out there because they could, they could lose players. They could lose money. I don't know if they have a conference, but if they do, they might have less people uh, because this is a divisive thing for no good reason, you know. Um, so just to let you know about that, if you like this and want to like buy some Bungie games, if they play on your computer or whatever, then go for it. If you're not into it, find another video game company, I guess. I don't know. 
But Kotaku has a little bit here. They connected to the thing I just read to you, and their tweet said, Standing up for reproductive choice and liberty is not a difficult decision to make, and Bungie remains dedicated to upholding these values. Very simple. And then it went to the thing that I just told you about. So I'd like to see more companies kind of doing that, because I can't imagine coming on my show and not supporting people to have health care. As I said, like, I'm immune compromised. Healthcare is extremely important to so many people. And, you know, Bungie did the right thing. There are some good things going on at Activision Blizzard, though. And I want to highlight that a little bit because even though, you know, Kotek seems to be on a path of evil by intent and some of the, he's finally got the stockholders to go, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I mean, there'll be an outcome of some kind. But Activision Blizzard has been highlighting people within their company. And I think that's awesome. So one of the things they did there, it's a, it's a thing called unlocked characters, which strikes me as strange. And they're highlighting two people specifically. And the, I'll just read you this honoring military spouse appreciation day with Activision's Ivan Perry and Blizzard's Al Alex Hunter. Military spouses must be supportive and adaptable. And it makes all the difference in the world when they can find companies that do the same for them. Uh, nearly 15 years before Military Appreciation Month even existed. This is written by Eric Alt on uh, May 6th. And I don't know if that's really his last name, but, you know, I'm thinking Blizzard. I'm thinking Warcraft. We have a bunch of alts, you know, <laughs> but it could be his last name. Okay. Nearly 15 years before Military Appreciation Month even existed, there was this understanding that not everyone who serves their country wears a uniform. In April 1984, President Ronald Reagan signed a proclamation setting aside May 23rd of that year as the first Military Spouse Day. A decade and a half later, through an effort spearheaded by Senator and veteran John McCain, Military Appreciation Month was formally adopted and Military Spouse Appreciation Day now observed on the Friday before Mother's Day was made a permanent part of the celebration with less than one half of 1% of the U.S. population identified as active duty personnel the day serves as a much needed spotlight on the sacrifices and unique perspectives of military families. For Activision talent professional lead Ivan Perry being a military spouse means continuing to serve albeit in a different capacity. He's an Air Force veteran from a military family and his wife also in the Air Force is a lieutenant colonel currently working in the intelligence field at the Pentagon. For Blizzard marketing manager Alex Hunter, being a, quote, proud spouse of the Marine Corps means finding new reserves of flexibility and adaptability as she navigates her own career while appreciating that unexpected life changes can often lead to amazing new opportunities. From translating military experience into civilian life to finding support among Activision Blizzard's military community, Alex and Ivan share their insights. And so there's like an interview with both of these people, which you can read, but I didn't know there was... A military uh, spouses day. I had no idea, you know. Um, so this is pretty cool, and I like that Blizzard seems to be Blizzard and Activision seem to be making an effort to highlight groups of people that you know have people working for them, and. You know, I've mentioned a bunch of these for Women's History Month. They were highlighting all the women, and I think it was specifically Blizzard, but it might have been some Activision. I'm not sure. So these are some changes that are good within Activision Blizzard, and they should keep doing. There's also um, Blizzard has a blog post from May 5th titled Blizzard Entertainment Welcomes Jessica Martinez as VP of Culture. 
and there's a picture of her in this thing. And again, everything will be in the show notes. Blizzard Entertainment is excited to announce Jessica Martinez as our first vice president head of culture. This comes as part of our ongoing initiative to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace culture where people at every level can learn, grow, and bring their most creative selves to their work. Jessica and the Blizzard leadership team will be responsible for growing and implementing our culture strategy, ensuring alignment across all teams and functions, and revamping learning and talent development programs. Excited to champion change within the gaming industry, Jessica says, quote, when you create a people-first environment where teams feel safe, valued and work together toward a shared purpose everyone thrives the employees the players and the business end quote to help achieve this jessica will lead the learning and development team while working closely with communications events and each of the franchise and functional leaders and there's a little bit more in there um she's been at blizzard more than 14 years uh leading strategy communications operations and employee experiences previous to that um at the walt disney company uh, where she served as chief of staff and key strate- strategic advisor to both the chief security officer and chief technology and digital officer for Disney Parks and Resorts. So that's kind of cool. Um, so that's another person they're highlighting that they should be highlighting. You know, here's someone new who's going to do good things. Sounds good to me. Speaking of like, you know, Warcraft that I mentioned briefly a little bit ago, um, there is a new mobile game called Warcraft Rumble. And the reason I'm interested in this thing at this moment is because they actually used audio description in the cinematic of this so that people who are visually impaired or legally blind or cannot see uh, very well at all or maybe not at all can listen to this and hear not only the sounds but but like a voice describing what's going on on the screen they did this for a couple of the hearthstone videos a while back and they're continuing to do it now with the warcraft rumble video and i think that's great because accessibility is extremely important and the more accessible you can make your game the more likely people are going to be interested in it or at least take a look at it when you tweet about it you know that kind of thing and i don't know that this is a game i'm going to play i don't know much about it yet but yeah you can pre-register for it now at warcraftrumble.blizzard.com if you're into that and i've looked at it it is an app game So you're going to be playing on uh, your phone or your tablet. You can get it on Google Play now to like pre-register. The App Store apparently is not available yet. It's grayed out on their official website for the Warcraft Arclight Rumble game. And you can pre-register with Battle.net, but not yet for Mac users. Maybe later kind of thing. The videos are really interesting though for it. So if you want to just see like these cute little pieces you put on the board that look kind of like minis but exaggerated and you know that kind of stuff and it's just it's kind of neat there's some more details here and again you can pre-register now if you use google play if you you can't get it on the app store yet it usually takes longer for the app store for whatever reason and considering that since we know that diablo immortal is coming out soon and now we have the Warcraft thing. Blizzard Watch has an article written by Phil Xavier titled, How Do You Feel About Blizzard's Upcoming Mobile Titles? And I'm going to read you just a little bit of this. Uh, Diablo Immortal and Warcraft Arclight Rumble are two very different beasts, if you ask me. The former I'm very excited about, the latter not so much. Quote, mobile gaming is way too broad a category. In fact, quote, mobile is more of a medium that 
that you use to play games than a category of games. Just like there are several different genres and subcategories within console gaming or PC gaming, you may like some of them while not caring for a few others. This became evidently clear to me when thinking about Blizzard's two upcoming mobile titles. Diablo Immortal seems like a game that I can see myself diving into and enjoying deeply. We obviously don't know yet if the game is going to be fun or not, some of us do if you got into uh, any of the alphas or betas or watch videos of it, uh, but definitely sounds like it has enormous potential. Many of its features that I've been reading about sound enticing, rich, and refreshing. The idea of getting the fast-paced, smash-everything gameplay of the Diablo series in an MMO environment sounds compelling, and the ability to get full cross-play between a PC and mobile device is an absolute game-changer. Arclight Rumble, on the other hand, is probably not for me, says uh, the writer of this article. Based on its initial reveal, it doesn't seem like the kind of game that I enjoy playing, and it definitely feels like it's trying to appeal to a completely d distinct demographic. Some of what I see there is compelling. The toy-like character models are very charming, and I really like the five factions they've divided the units into, but other than that, I'm not particularly interested. So uh, there was a question. I, so I want to ask you, how do you feel about these two games? Are you interested in both, or just one of them, or in neither? And is the ability to play Diablo Immortal on your PC a point in favor of getting you to at least try it? When you think of a mobile game, are you looking for a quick, simple, and fun experience with a game like Arclight Rumble rather than something to devote more time and energy into? Or are you still averse to the very idea of gaming on a phone or tablet, no matter how distinct the titles may be from one another? Or how similar they might be to a console or PC game? And so if you want to join the discussion on that, uh, there's a bunch of questions that people are asking and answering in there, and you can check that out. Again, links are in the show notes. Moving on to Diablo 2 Resurrected, it looks like uh, Teo1904 posted a uh, Twitch video of going through the ladder and got ended up with rank rank one on uh, softcore level 99 push with this. So that's really exciting in a number of ways. Um, and there's more I've gotten here about the ladders. Adam Fletcher, who is Pez Radar, global community lead for Diablo, Diablo Immortal and Blizz Heroes and Blizzard Entertainment. Um, and he has a screenshot of the ladder rankings and Teo underscore Unsullied is at number one at level 99, the first one to do that. And so he, Adam Fletcher wrote, congrats at Teo underscore 1904. So that's kind of cool. Like here's somebody that did it, you know, <laughs> this person, this person did the thing. And that's pretty exciting overall. Um, to back up a bit, going into Diablo Immortal, we know that there was a thing, I think I talked about it in the last show, where if a certain number of people pre-registered for Diablo Immortal, they would get the opportunity to start whatever class they started with to have um, the cosmetic armor that would only be available for people that did that. Wowhead has pictures, I guess, of all of the classes and what those sets look like. And it's kind of got like, you know, front, side, back, you know, that kind of thing, other side kind of stuff. And so it's in there for all of the classes that you could possibly want to play in the game. It's like all of the classes that are in the game. And you can, you know, take a look at that and see what you think about it and if that's cool enough for you or not cool enough for you. And honestly, you know, I was thinking about playing the Crusader, but I'm looking at the Barbarian stuff. I'm like, yeah, I think I like that. I kind of play barbarians a lot, but it's a good way to just sort of look at it and think about it if you're not sure what class you want to start with because you can only get that set on one character. You cannot go and get them for all of your characters of different classes, so choose wisely. 
Diablo Immortal also has a video with class highlights of all of the classes in Diablo Immortal and uh, mentions that it's coming June 2nd and they just made all of the classes look incredibly cool. So it's a short video. It's like a minute and a half. So you can check that out if you just want to see some cool stuff going on. And then they also posted a thread with each of the classes and they're asking which class would you choose? So they've got one for the Barbarian, the Crusader, the Demon Hunter, the Monk, the Necromancer, and the Wizard. And so you can kind of see them doing some cool stuff, I suppose. Lord Fluffy posted a poll and the poll was new meta podcast question of the week. This was posted on May 5th. Now that Diablo Immortal has announced with PC crossplay, does this change your general opinion of the game? And the things you could select from are yes, huge announcement was already excited. Meh, still a mobile game. So uh, Wyatt Chang who is the game director for Diablo Immortal um, at Blizzard Entertainment, was formerly the patch lead for Diablo 3, does game jams and all that good stuff, responded not in the poll, but to the, the poll, and said, just my personal opinion, I was already excited. Now, all of you that have seen the announcement that it was going to be on PC probably could tell how excited Wyatt Chang was about all of this, and Pez Radar did a great job, you know, fielding questions back and forth so people could get an idea of what was going on. And I just think it's funny that, you know, like, the Diablo community is just so tightly knit that somebody that's kind of known in the Diablo community can get responded to by the game director of Diablo Immortal. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's cool. But Wyatt Chang has a history of being very open and talking to people about whatever Diablo stuff was going on, like at previous BlizzCons and BlizzCon Line and all that stuff. So it's just it's just kind of cool how this all plays together. Uh, Echo Hack has a whole bunch of guides for different classes in Diablo Immortal. There's a barbarian guide you can look at. There's a monk guide. There's a crusader guide. There's a demon hunter guide. There's a wizard guide. I assume there's a necromancer one somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. And this, all of this content and the detail that Echo Hack goes into kind of explains his other tweet here that says, wow, we hit 4,000 subs on YouTube. Thank you. They have, he's got 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I think a lot of it must have to do with the amount of content that he does. And it's really well done. He's probably one of the best known people that, you know, has been playing through uh, alphas and betas, I assume, of Diablo Immortal. So last time I mentioned him, he had 3,000 subscribers and now it's 4,000 and that's that's fantastic. So that's really cool. So go check out his stuff if you if you want to, you know, figure out what you're going to play or just to see it. He does some really good stuff. In addition, going back to Diablo 2 Resurrected, Big Daddy Den has posted a YouTube video called Stony Tomb Monarch Shield Farming. If that's something you want to do, he'll show you how to do it. Uh, Anna Cake has a cute little video it's only seven seconds long and she posted it on twitter uh she said it was about to happen teo reached level 99 anna became a chicken and there's a little video of her in a fluffy chicken outfit just walking by her hallway so you can see her and it's just she does a lot of like cosplay sort of stuff uh with the diablo games and she just does such a good job and i think she's having fun with it and it just seems like just really neat that's a lot of work and a lot of like fun for your viewers to check out 
And other than that, we have Carbot Animation, who everybody loves, and they have said on Twitter on May 3rd that their Prime Evil pin bundle is now available. You can get Diablo, Mephistle, and Bale. These pins are a little larger than the previous ones to give them more of a boss feel. Supply is limited, however, and there's a link in their tweet if you want to go try to buy uh, this grouping of patches, or I don't know if you could do it individually, but, you know, go get it. There's a limited supply. And to end the show here, uh, Rex Antorax posted Challenge Rift 254 North American Guide on Reddit. So you can see how that works if you're interested in doing the Challenge Rift in Diablo 3 Season 26. Um, the interesting thing, I did the first Challenge Rift in um, when the season started, and it was a Witch Doctor. And, you know, when you go into the challenge rift, or maybe you don't know if you've never bothered with this, but you go into the challenge rift, your character becomes a character that someone else built, and you use that character and their skills and their whatever they're wearing and, you know, that kind of thing to get yourself through the challenge rift successfully. And the first thing I noticed is the one they picked was a witch doctor who still had a blood shard in one of, I think, the weapon. I think it was. And that just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, wow, I guess it can come out of season, you know, but it was just specific to the challenge rift. Um, and I failed miserably with that and then came back and did a different one instead. So um, it's just kind of interesting that people will go to the details of here's how you do this. This is what you need. This is what you're provided with for the challenge rift because you don't get to choose. It's here's what it is. Go for it. And Rex Antorex has done a lot of these videos, so I think it's really cool. And with that, I'm going to end the show. You have been listening to episode 358 of the Shattered Soulstone podcast, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan and Diablo 3 for sure are both named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.